Hello. Okay, tonight we're going to talk about resilience, mindfulness, and helping our kids find their purpose. The first slide shows a couple of articles, and I'll put the hyperlinks down in the notes. Short form is to say that one of the most important things our kids need is the is the is the honor of failure is the opportunity to screw up, make a mistake in a safe place without being castigated, without censure, without I told you so, to uh, be able to pick themselves up and try again. I, I couldn't tell you how many times my child and I fail together and then we look at each other and we say, and usually it's me, but you know, 25% of the time it's him instigating the request. Let's start over. Let's try again. And then we smile. And then no matter how gloomy and dark it was, how no matter how bad the failure, no matter how deep the hole. Um, and, you know, sometimes I have to apologize to him. If I've, if I've uh, let my uh, extrinsic motivation take over and I failed him as a parent, my sense of humor went down the toilet and I just did, a, you know, whatever it was, it was a bad choice, Gail. So um, anyway, the resilience, the art of the science, the, the, all of the, the research that's come around on resilience. All right, so let's click on to the next graphic. And that's just an excerpt I've taken from the articles with the links. And so you see the highlighted stuff? Let's talk about that for a second. So in the actual science, the research, the, um, not just the pretty stories of resilience, but the case histories, right? Longitudinal kinds of things. So in the science of resilience, it tells us that why it's so important is that it will have a positive outcome in the face of adversity, in the face of, of hard times. And today's Sunday, our pastor had a really good sermon this morning. It's all online, right? Because we're smack dab in the middle of the COVID-19 and nobody's going anywhere. We're all still under voluntary quarantine and there's a lot of fear. So it's not just going crazy because you wish you were out doing things and you're a little stir crazy and your cabin fever, but there's also this overhanging Damocles sort of, of true fear of wondering about um, dying or not, right? Leaving your child behind or not. So um, in the face of adversity, so for us, for our kids, for the, the, the children that we have influence over, for the people in our immediate family or friends, um, this, this applies also. So if we are able to provide at least one supportive, caring, stable, reliable relationship, friendship as an adult caregiver to that child, this is going to put them on that road to having, to building, to growing resilience. It will also help them develop a sense of mastery over life circumstances. You know that famous saying, um, God grant me the courage to change the things I can, the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the wisdom to know the difference, right? So in this case, there's so little that we have control over in life, and so even less little that our kids have sense of mastery over, because they basically have to kind of kowtow to out what we tell them. And so for them to be able to be, um, to rebound, to, to be okay with ups and downs of life, and particularly in the sense of if they are kids that have uh, the developmental delay, the, you know, how the autism kiddos have a stereotypical need to always have rigidity in their schedule. Now, there is a sense of, of um, 
structure, right, that everybody likes to have. And my kid is no exception. In fact, we're no exception as adults. But there's also um, uh, so, there, there's so much in life that can be a good experience, get away from ABA. I change up pitches to my kid all the time. I make him be okay if, if something's different. I purposefully make things different, random for him, uh, arbitrary, so that he may not know what's going to happen next. But if he can smile and be okay and make a joke, that's exactly how I want him to be able to react because that's how life is going to bring him challenge after challenge after challenge. Okay, moving on. So, so strong executive functioning, right? Who does not want that for their kids? And who does not wish they had more personally, <laughs> right? Any of us that are dwaddling on a particular project that we need to do, like, for example, I'm finally sorting through something that I've been stalling around for a long time, and I put on some music I really like, Hamilton soundtrack, and I'm finally digging through all of the old photographs and the dusty memoirs left over from my mom's estate, and sorting through kid pictures and deciding what I'm going to frame and what I'm going to archive. And it sounds like a fun project, but I have just put it off forever. So today, I dive in. It's kind of like when you get the groove to start your spring cleaning, right? Well, these are executive functioning strengths that we need to have as adults. Well, just imagine, again, if you were a child and you were you were hoping to gain that neural pathway. And we, standing on the side want sidelines, we want to help our kids. We want to cheer them on, but we want them to do it because it's the right thing for them out of their self-esteem to build those characters, character characteristics of doing the right thing when no one is looking, right? Okay, and of course, then that follows hand in hand with self-regulation skills, self-control skills. Like right now we have a, an extra kiddo in the house because, and you know, John's benefiting from that. Um, he's got the peer modeling, so that's awesome. But then he also has these strange times when he decides he wants to show off for these girls and he'll do the dumbest things. <laughs> um and, and it's because he's trying to get attention. So I'll try to quietly remind him that if he would like to have attention from those girls, then he will need to, one of them's six years old and one of them's 15. And so if he plays the silly goof, then they're going to just ignore him or walk away. So I say, John, use a sentence. You, you have to make it sound like a song. You have to make them want to listen to you. Same thing goes for the dog. He wants the dog, Spike, poor, bless poor Spike's heart, he wants the dog to sleep with him in his room. Well, he's also got this tendency that he'll just be a little bit too rough on poor Spike. I mean, not that Spike and he don't sometimes deserve each other, I swear. I just Those two guys just like go at it, go at it, and I, they deserve each other. But for the most part, John's the adult compared to the dog, sometimes. And so if John wants the dog to sleep in his room and be, then I say, well, okay, John, you're going to have to build up that trust. So for him to remember to use self-control even around the dog. Okay, so it kind of goes back, we're a little bit off target, but, but we're still in these categories of really important things built by resilience. And then mindfulness we'll get to and uh, finding their purpose. Okay, so back to our highlighted stuff here. For our kids to learn how to cope with the threats to the physical, the social well-being, um, learning how to go with the ups and downs, how to smile, to be flexible with failure, to try again, to be, um, oh, 
what's the right word? I can't say resilience, right? Because that's the what we're trying to define. But that, and I've already said flexible. I got to come up with a new word here. <laughs> but that willing to willingness to just zigzag, yin yang, come back again, bounce up again, try again to be um, humble, to use humility, to to realize even self deprecating, to grin, to smile, to say, "Oops, sorry about that." Oops. And, and not to be embarrassed. Okay, so um, we also want them to develop, to develop greater sensitivity to all the positive life experiences. Because you know what they say is that you can hear 10 good things about yourself and all you need is that one negative feedback and all of a sudden those 10 good things just go right down the toilet. So if we can keep a better perspective, a better balance of, all right, so somebody says one snotty thing to us, but then we get 10 other people, maybe even 20 other people saying something positive about ourselves, and which one are we supposed to listen to, right? Are we supposed to water the, the weeds in our souls, or are we supposed to water the flowers? So anyway, we can also, with increased resilience, help our kids to just remember the positive things and to discard disregard, let go what no longer serves them with any kind of negative input that they get. Now, if there's something that's justified, constructive criticism, some kind of teachable moment, all right, they need to absorb that, right? But but not we're talking about like, you know, the the bullying. How can we help our kids rise to strength, to inner strength, to face the bully, to say, hey, you know, it doesn't in, in their own heart of hearts and to just walk away and be okay with that. To, to ignore, ignore the, the bad things in life. All right, so moving on to, we also uh, would love resilience because it can help influences, it can help influence the mental and the physical development. Now, for us in this world, you're probably not listening to this podcast unless your kiddos got some kind of developmental delay. All right, so anything that helps them move in the right direction, be it of the mind, of the body, midline crossover, um, uh, awareness, mindfulness, we want that. We covet that for our kids. And here's the last line is the best part. Here's the best thing of it all. And that is that no child is born with, with resilience. So your kid's not one leg down because of a diagnosis or because of uh, a lack of mitochondria or because of just any kind of thing that you can imagine. They can develop resilience. It's like a muscle, okay? And it's built, it's grown, it's because you're there, it's because you teach them senses of humor and you model that for them. They can grow it, they can build it, and it's because you were you were there in their life. I just think, I, I just get, I love that part. <laughs> okay, let's click ahead, and now we're on the slide that says mindfulness. Mindfulness for kids See that picture I put there? There's a, an adult, right? That could be you or me or just somebody bigger than a kid. I'm not sure how old that is. Is that mom or grandma or grandpa? Um, but man, our head's full of yesterday and today and supper tomorrow and, and regret. And what was it I said yesterday? And then I got into that argument and, oh my goodness, in five years, what am I going to, you know, how, where's the money going to come from? When will I, can I retire? And our brains and hearts and emotions and psyche are just filled with stuff. And then look at the the little kid there, right? La, 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 look at the flowers. And so the opportunity that kids offer to us for modeling of being in the moment, I watch my kids and I think, 
well, particularly John, because he's younger and, and, you know, he's in the moment so much. <laughs> I wish sometimes he was less in the moment, frankly. Um, but as far as sensory integration and developmental delay and moving forward, but at the same time, you know, the idea of waking up, right? So if they're lost in their own cognitive fog, but somehow they're waking up. So I say all the time, his eyes are shinier because of methylation, because of all the um, interventions we're doing, everything about helping his immune system work stronger, the nutrition. Um, again, eyes being shinier, more in the moment, um, uh, paying attention that, uh, you know, when they're little kids, sometimes they're lost in their own um, singular focus. But if they can join our world, have joint attention with us, if they can crack a joke and you laugh, you can crack a joke and they smile. That's huge. That's social emotional learning. That's your kid being okay when they start to collaborate with others. That's kids learning how to build friendships. You know, and it, maybe it's not 300 at a time, but one or two or three at a time. That's the way real friendships are born and, uh, and built and nurtured and increased. So I tell John frequently, hey, buddy, if you want to have friends, you need to be a friend first. And we're practicing picking up that telephone and using it for something other than just some dumb YouTube bowling video and being proactive, putting his calendar on it, knowing when his meetings are going to be by Zoom or any of any other commitments that he has. And that is in addition to the paper list. OK, so we also I want him to understand calendar on his phone, time awareness. He's got one of these analog, um, Android um, smartwatches, but not, it's not Apple. It's not an expensive one. It's about 40 bucks I got for him. And it's mostly heart rate, no games, but it's uh, time and blood count and, uh, you know, a Fitbit type of um, substitute and an alarm. So it's, yes, it's digital. It's not analog, but he's paying attention to it. He rides his bike. I tell him, okay, come back at 4.50. Or I'll say, come back in 10 minutes. And he's pretty good on target. And my expectation for him is to start to pay attention to his clock, pay attention to timing. Hopefully, he then we can move into paying attention to money because that's the next thing that we have to work on. Um, the whole discalcula thing, right? Money, numbers. Um, what's that? <laughs> okay, so uh, let's. Uh, we're on the mindfulness for kids slide. And let's take a look at those yellow highlighted larger fonts that I, that's uh, there on the, in the column on the right. So what mindfulness really will be for our kids and for us too, but since we're talking about them, it's the thoughts, it's the feelings, it's the body sensations and the surrounding environment. Now, what does that sound like? Does that sound like sensory integration? Yeah, right? Introception, um, proprioceptive, vestibular, the five, the three, and the one. So um, that's just right there for sensory integration. Mindfulness also involves acceptance. So that's peace, that's harmony, that's in the flow. That actually can kind of start to move into um, motivation, all right? And then without being judged and without judging. So if they can, now that's different, right, than morality. So we're working all the time on that's cheating, John. Don't cheat. Let's do it right. Let's do the honorable thing. So these are immaterial concepts of ethics and um so there's consequences for a bad choice, right? And I, I want him to feel chagrin. I want him to feel uh, guilt or I want him to feel um, remorse on something. 
So uh, I notice sometimes with uh, with the church service when we're sitting next to each other because we're still online everything. And I'll be affected by the, the service and I start to cry. And so he comes around and sticks his head face in my face and he's just checking out, why is mom crying? And sometimes he'll do a little, you know, pat on the shoulder or some kind of gentle reassurance, which, I mean, there was a time when there was no way that was coming my to me. So those moments are awesome. So building empathy, right? So that, that thing of not judging, whether you receive no judging or you give no judging, we want to reduce the bullying. We want to reduce the judgment and the prejudice and the bias. And, and we do it with our kids because they're the models that we have for the world. And then the next and the last one that's uh, highlighted there is it's in the present moment. And that's without rehashing or the, the past, worrying about the future. Um, we're back to our picture now, right? Of being ready for the, the, the blessing that comes. It's a lot like what Eckhart Tolle says, right? Is that sometimes we just think way too much. Um, overthink? He doesn't say overthink. He just says to pay attention to your breathing more than your thinking. Um, and because uh, we certainly, uh, and I'm just as guilty as anybody else, can overthink stuff. And then we say a bunch of words in circles, right? <laughs> You know, have you ever, you ever had a conversation with somebody and all you're saying is the same thing over and over and over and over? It's like, man, would somebody just kick me out of this orbit and let me move on to something that's that's real instead of we get caught up in undercurrents of conversations. And we're not saying anything. It's not being productive in any way. Okay, so it's actually, it's escaping codependency too, all right? And I'm a recovering codependent. And codependency is another whole topic, but read that book by Pia Melody. It's a, it's a great book, um, Facing Codependency. Know what you're up against <laughs> and know your enemy because you're the enemy. <laughs> okay, click on and let's see, let's talk about the one that says kids and finding, helping them find their purpose. We just finished watching Hugo, that Martin Scorsese, Martin Scorsese flick. A great movie. And there's a couple of uh, children in there and they have a really serious conversation up in a clock tower about finding their own purpose. It's totally sweet. Great movie. Um, and with some historical uh, nods in there. So I totally recommend Hugo. With my first kid ages ago, uh, we, we read, read it together. And that book's about three inches thick. And now uh, with John, it's um, less reading <laughs> and more movies. Uh, it goes faster, uh, more to pay attention to. But uh, I'm sharing the same book with two kids in very different modalities. Uh, that's okay. It's great. Anyway, they were talking about helping a child find their purpose. Now, if you're a spiritual person, and I am, then we also have to understand that every kid is here for a reason. And... I, I know I've made this joke already once in these podcasts of, you know, if, if God really is aware of everybody and planning for everyone's life, and then he goes, oh man, I forgot your kid, Gail. I got everybody else in the universe covered, but you know what? I did forget yours. I'm so sorry. Well, we know that's not true. I'm making a really bad spiritual joke here. So if each child has a purpose and some of them are just going to be a little bit more to wade through the wade through the um the high grass on, right? So some kids headed to Harvard, you kind of got the idea, okay, fine, you're going to go run corporations. But for my John, hmm. Um I'm sure he'll be teaching a lot of people things, but right now I'm not exactly sure what his workplace skills are going to be. I'm not exactly sure how he's going to earn his living going forward. 
Uh, and that's kind of, not, that's not fully everything about finding your purpose, but you know, we parents, we think about our kids as they grow up, right? And part of that also is the dignity of taking risks. I'm a huge advocate of that. I know we've talked about this already. Um, offering them the opportunity to to try, even when they don't exactly know what the outcome's going to be, right? Because they need to practice brave. And I tell him, it's okay to be scared. You just get to practice brave at the same time. You can be brave and scared, but we're going to try. And I'll stand here with you until you're ready to, to try. So offering them the opportunity. And uh, another example, all right, um, he's going to text his little friends up and down the street and to make a bike date. Then he's going to get on his bike and off he goes. And again, he chose not to wear his helmet. And I'm not, I could, I could, hint, I could make him make him wear that helmet, but then he, he's not going to match the other kids. And right now, um, it's really important to him to feel, and I want him to have that of feeling accepted and not so different in so many ways from all the other kids. Now he has on occasion purposefully dug out the helmet, put it on and wore it. Um, but sometimes, most of the time, he does not wear his helmet. He goes out on barefoot, maybe flip-flops and sometimes just with his bare feet on a bike. And he comes back with a bloody toe from time to time. And I'll say, hey, dude, you might want to put some shoes on or take those socks off because you either need to be barefoot or put shoes on those socks. But I just zip it then. And I let him take those risks and let him find out. He needs to feel what that's like, right? Not because mom's nagging him, but because he said to himself, yikes, I remember the last time I did that. And then I dropped my toe on the concrete and I ripped it and it's bleeding and it hurts. And I think I better remember that. All right, so we're back to resilience. You're going to help your kid. You're going to help all those kids you interact with. You're going to help them find their purpose. And it's going to be a great feeling. And it may be the most reward. <laughs> it may be the only time I would, that you get properly reimbursed because you're going to reimburse yourself. Properly compensated is the better word. Properly compensated for your career of teaching. I make this joke all the time when I'm doing preschool uh, conferences and I look at, out at them and they're, you know, a room full of fabulous preschool teachers. And I say, hey, that's why you get paid the big bucks. You picked this glamorous career. And then uh, they all roll their eyes and they laugh. And it's usually good for a real good icebreaker. So maybe if that's the only way that you get compensated for that, you realize in your heart of hearts that what you're doing is so immaterially important. Um, the world may not pay you, but pay yourself, pat yourself on the back for that really, really important thing. Okay, last slide. Here's some graphics that I've, well, two pictures tell a quick story, but the one in, in, that's on the left. Um, so our kids might feel like they're alone, but you know, there's so many things we can do to kind of be there, but they don't know it. Uh, there's a Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You Will Go. Great, uh, great story in there about uh, sometimes you'll be by yourself and sometimes you'll be with others. I'm sure each of us remember, I remember, the times when I have felt utterly alone. I remember when I left home as a little kid out, right out of high school and moved from Illinois to Texas. And I remember being alone and lonely. And then hardships, every time you go through a hardship and you come out the stronger for it. So 
we need to encourage our kids that if they ever do need to be at peace in their own skin solo, that that's okay. And if they need to have a plan B or a plan C or a plan D as far as social, at least plan B ought to be you're okay if you just go by yourself. If it's an adventure just you, that's fine. And that's the deal we have with the bike rides. If no kid says, sure, I want to, then John can just go out on his own, on his own adventure. So that's a really important legacy, I believe, to hand to our kiddos. And then the last two pictures is a kind of a funny, silly story. So even though our kids may feel like they're all alone, and kind of like back to that first picture there, we can still be so close, right, to help them. All right, so the, the backward chaining of John's preparation to ride the big kid, the gen ed bus, in intermediate school and now in junior high, we started when we were in elementary, and they had him on a really short leash in the, I hate saying life skills, when he was in the life skills section there, um, such a short leash, and I refused to put him on the short bus, to put him on the special ed bus. So instead, we would drive over to an adjacent parking lot, get out, get the scooter, the bike, the whatever, and then he would just trot uh, the last few blocks to school along with everybody else and be seen, and I would be seen by the other parents. Um, you know, when the kids ride the bus, yes, there's some socializing, but if they're on the gen ed, if they're, if they're on the gen ed bus, but if they're on this, the special ed bus, there's not so much. And what has always intrinsically motivated John has been showing off for neurotypical peers or feeling quasi-included. Now, he's peer-aware and self-aware, so he realizes that he's, you know, um, different. But he tries. And so if he's going to try, you, bet you, you can bet I'm going to do anything I can to help him with that trying. All right, so in, uh, Jeanette, uh, in uh, elementary school, that's what we did, and we backward chain. So we would start with the last step of total independence of, of leaving the school and getting to the car all by himself. And then we would do the last and the second to last step. And then we would do the last, the second, and the third to last step. And I would be fading. I would be not in the picture. And he would be, I'd be starting farther and further away, right? So that he would basically then come all the way to the car by himself. And then we did all the way going to school by himself. The point there is that then he could be utterly independent. So when we go to ARD for um, coming into fifth grade and they say, oh, I don't know, gen ed bus, bullying, fear, we don't want to do that. I said, oh yes, we're going to do that. We're going to take those risks. I promise you we are going to take those risks. We have been backward chaining on this process from the beginning, John is super keen motivated. We've got a bus stop in the area that we found some peers that he likes. And um, I even made the mistake of trying to switch his bus stop because they were switching the bus stop and one was closer to the house and he just utterly refused. Um, so he, and I hadn't even asked, but I could tell by his behavior and by what he said and how he said it that he was not happy with mom trying to make things a little bit more efficient. So basically he's got a pretty decent hike from the house to get there. Uh, to the bus stop, which he's done independently, depending on the day, and all of those are different stories. But th the point of these two photographs is that on the uh, on the ultimate um, backward chaining, once he started the, the big kid bus, that's about three blocks, curvy, curvy blocks away from the house, so way out of line of sight. And as I started to backward chain that bus, 
uh, adventure for him, then I'm I'm hiding in the bushes, um, coming and the going, right? Staying ahead of him so he doesn't see me. He thinks he's alone. He's not. If there was some something bad that was going to happen, some saber-toothed tiger was going to jump out of the woods, then I'd make sure I could help him, right? But uh, he, I don't want him knowing that. So I'm, I'm just, I'm lurking in the bushes. <laughs> so I'm out, I'm, I'm out in front of Debbie's house, and uh, I just said hi to her kiddo, and she hadn't seen me yet. So she came just barreling out of the house. Who was this perpetrator? Who was this predator? You know, talking to her kid, and, and parked out front. Who was it? She and so I had to say, oh hey Debbie, uh, I'm Gail. I'm your neighbor. I'm just backward chaining my kid. You know, uh, getting you know coming home from the school bus. Whereas I really did look like I was you know um, the wrong kind of person lurking in the bushes trying to grab a kid. <laughs> Debbie and I have been great friends since then. I just it's the funniest story. I, I did not do it justice with this telling, um, but. Uh, that's uh, me taking a picture. Then the bottom of those two photographs is uh, is uh, taking a picture of him going off, you know. And I'm way upstairs. He's on his own. Goodbye, dude. See ya. Love ya. Um, and there's a, a lot of variations depending on the day. But the big picture is he needs to do it all by himself, and he takes great joy in that. Um, to the point where one of the office workers from the elementary school saw him backward chaining, coming home independently all by himself from the bus stop all the way back to the house. And then she saw me in Kroger one day and she said, you won't believe I saw John coming home from the bus. And then I went back to school next day and I told everybody in the office, remember John, who basically was on such a short leash, John Fisher? Well, I saw him hiking all the way home from the, the, the Gen Ed bus. So it was, it was like, yeah, he can do these things. He just needs opportunity and he needs the, the risk taking and the chance to fail and he needs the chance to grow into it. Okay, so, and then the, the picture on top is a picture of me ahead of him, right? So any moment now, he might come around that corner, but I got to make sure I stay hidden from the bushes, and that's right there in front of Debbie's house, so part of the story. Um, all right, so just some, some examples. Uh, I know you have a lot yourself. Uh, feel free to comment on the, the, uh, on the blog and on the, the podcast. There's... There's theory, right? And there's big ideas that we see published and we, we, we read about them in research. And then how do we do that with our kids? So I so encourage you to, to just realize how important you are in doing everything you can to build your child's and the children around you, their resilience, whether they're in learning differences or not, whether they're in high school, going to college, whether they're trying to find a job, paying off their school loan, having their own difficulty in their marriage, and they come running to you to solve their problems, and nope, we can't. Um, you can always be there for them, but I just cannot solve my kids' problems. They have to figure that out. But I can always be there to, to, to hold them by the hand, to help them feel validated and confirmed and, and believed in. And I do that. I say that to both of my kids all the time. I believe in you. And it doesn't really matter what you do. I just believe in you unconditionally. And you know how you can say these things to your kids. Make sure you don't pass up a chance to tell them. You know, their dad passed away not long ago. And he did such a terrible job of, of sharing his blessing to them. And I even told him to do that. And he just never did it. So don't fail like that. You make sure that 
every night before your kid goes to bed is that they know how much you believe in them and, and that's going to help build their resilience. And if they make a mistake, we start over. We start over right now. Or if we need to start over tomorrow morning, I mean, many a time I'm tucking John into bed and we say, wow, that was a that was a rough night or that was a rough day. Let's do better tomorrow. Let's try again tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be a better day. So we face the failure, believe, face it, talk about it so we know what the teachable moments are. But then it's a new day and there's always hope because neural pathways can be molded because we're not dead yet. Okay, Um, thank you for your time and I look forward to our next talk. Okay, bye-bye.